Stand clear. 100% wild podcast. So for all you listeners, hello and welcome to definitely not your favorite outdoor podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drew Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. This is episode number 264. Seated across from me is the one and only Matt Drury. And seated across from me is the ultra marathon running Tim Chelswick. And I'm going to blame the ultra marathon on why I didn't kill a turkey this year. I got no <laughs> excuse other than I suck. We are, you know, we're the ult- forget turkey conservation. It's all about turkey preservation. And you and I are the exemplars of wild turkey preservation. Throw in deer, too. <laughs> we bought our tags this year, and we did not kill a bird. I, hey, this is a good segue. You didn't know I was going to do this, but I got in the mail yesterday. So the what was it, two podcasts ago, we had Daniel Hayes on. Mm-hmm. We were talking about the turkey stamp, yeah. the habitat stamp that they did at Oak. What do you got there? So I ordered them whoa and i received them in the mail yesterday or you're gonna uh, you're gonna unenvelope this something is on air boxing slash enveloping for those of you that are listening matt's got a cold steel knife and he's wielding it very carefully so yeah like really a surgeon so so here's what i did i actually ordered three of these mm. one for mark one for terry and one for myself i wanted to say thank you to mark and terry for and i'll just sit here uh, listen, you're not on that level. <laughs> what level are we talking about? I don't one either, but I'm trying to be helpful for conservation, Tim. So I uh, here. So we just unenveloped it. There's a letter from Mr. Toxie Hayes uh, from Mossy Oak, an official letter here. It looks like it was signed by him. And then the stamp itself. So you got to watch. You got to check this out if you're listening to this. You got to go to uh, Deercaster to the YouTube channel and check out the video. But pretty cool. The stamps right there. Uh, beautiful picture that, as Daniel said, hangs above their mantle, I believe. That's yeah. right. That's what he was saying. Uh, so, And then they have a little note here about the uh, 2022 Wild Turkey Conservation Stamp. And it's got the Gamekeepers logo there at the bottom, which obviously Mossy Oak is famous for. Does so, it say anything about not putting that on mail and trying uh, to mail something? <laughs> Here's a disclaimer. Don't try to mail anything with you know, this. <laughs> it doesn't say anything about that, but uh, it's so cool looking. It might your mailman might just pick it up and run with it. Well, he'd have to steal it from my home, so <laughs> hopefully he doesn't do that. Post office theft. All right, so, that's cool. Yeah, so if you would go over to mossyoak.com and check that out, you can get one for yourself. It was, you know, I think it was fifteen, 15 bucks. Yeah, fifteen dollars, yeah. uh, and. All the proceeds go to help out conservation. They, they're they working with a couple different uh, turkey biologists, I think, to decide Dr. Where Mike to, Chamberlain was one of yep, them. To appropriate the funds. Mm-hmm. And uh, so great, great for turkeys, even though turkey season's winding down in a lot of spots. Uh, we can continue to help the wild turkey. And I also wanted to note that my NWTF membership came up. My dues came up. Yep. And uh, I re-upped that as well. There so, you go. Yeah. And you can write on your little re-up card, turkey preservationist. That's right. Yeah, no kidding. Is that a different level of membership that I could get? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I I think you could also donate over to Turkeys for Tomorrow. Yeah, turkeys for Tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a couple of different organizations. Help the Yelp. Yep. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's, there's a, a few out a there. Few a few good, good ones. ones. Mm-hmm. So anyways, trying to do my part. Outside of buying turkey tags and not killing turkeys. (laughs) Actually, I just got an email from the MDC, you know, because here, you know, we're in Missouri, obviously, Mm -hmm. and uh, get the emails from the MDC all the time. And they had their turkey count for the year. The season ended a few days ago uh, on Mother's Day. And I believe they were at 34,000 uh, for the year. Let me pull it up, make yeah, sure. Thir- oh, about- ended with 36,254 birds. They were actually slightly up. Um, I thought they said, I think the email I'll try to pull it up here said 7%, uh, which is surprising, honestly. 
Uh, no, no, I got that wrong. So they were up at the turkey harvest was up about 5% from 2021. And okay. it's still about 7% lower than the average spring turkey harvest during the last five years of 17 through 21. Mm. So um, if I remember right, 2020 was like a huge year, though, with pandemic, there was the a lockdown, lot, there was a yeah. lot more uh, harvest numbers that year. But in general, um, the email also said that there's one less brood per or one less. Um, let me read this correctly. We're doing a news section on the fly here. Yeah. Yeah. So th this is MDC's email. Our annual wild turkey brood survey indicates that the, at the statewide level, hens have been producing one or fewer poults on average for the past six years. So, you know, when you look out at the landscape, you hear a lot about the declining turkey population. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot of reasons we've talked about on the podcast before, whether it's predator, you know, predation or just loss of, of overall habitat for them. Um, hopefully some of these things like NWTF and turkeys for tomorrow, Mossy Oak with what they're doing here with the, the Turkey stamp can contribute to getting those numbers uh, turned around mm -hmm. and back in the right direction. But yeah. honestly, like we talked about in the rack pack there on Facebook, so somebody had posted about numbers uh, be, being down. And I said, I felt like, you know, the state might need to look at going from two birds to one bird. To one. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people jumped in on that and, and agreed. Um, I don't think that's anything controversial, so to speak. I, I mean, I just... Most, most guys I know would be okay with moving that direction. Not many people kill two birds. Mm -hmm. I know there's, there's probably plenty out there that you just don't hear about. But I, I would yeah. assume most people are killing just one bird anyways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just based on the amount of time they have to hunt. It is <laughs> such a short season. Well, and if you only go out once or twice a week, before you know it, three weeks is up. Yeah, yeah, agreed. So, anyways, that's our we're wrapping up turkey season. So, wanted to just kind of put a final put a bow on it. Yeah, put a stamp on it. That's right, Tim. Look that, at you. <laughs> Hold on, that deserves up, everybody. Did. <laughs> deserves an applause. Nice. What's your name? The show. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, it'll if it gets better, it's only because of wow. our guests. Check that out. Yeah, we've got Austin uh, Delano from Mossy Oak. Austin, what's up, man? Hey guys, how y'all doing? More specifically, from Mossy Oak's Biologic, and he is a gamekeeper. We talked about it, but we're, he's we're, Mr. Gamekeeper. Yeah, we're going to talk about planting and kind of summer prep and what people should be doing now. And so Austin is the guy to be talking about that. That's right. Well, we tried getting Bobby Cole, but he big-timed us. And he said, you know what, Austin, Austin's probably the Send better the guest B here. the B-team. <laughs> so. you, you know, many, many moons ago, I, I named him Bobby Big Time. Oh, did Bobby you? Bobby Big Time. I, like I didn't that. even know that. Yeah. Bobby Logic? Bobby yeah, Big yeah, Time? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in the days of the, the, the original book, Matt, if you remember that. Um, yeah. That, that, that was the, the phrase I, I gave him. That's right. Author Bobby Cole. That's he, right. He, we, we had him on. Yeah, this has been a little while back. but About he, a year or so. Yeah, he talked about the, the line of books. and I've read the every dummy one. line. Yeah, they, they, they are really good. They are very entertaining. As a hunter, like you want to check out his books. They're, yeah. they're good stuff. Right. They are really good. It also gives you a scary insight to the imagination of Bobby Cole. <laughs> it does. Every time I'm reading his books, I said this in the podcast, I just think of him as Jake, the, the main character. <laughs> so. yeah, absolutely. He's made himself look really heroic. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we're, we talked about, you know, turkeys here and kind of winding down in turkey season. I know there's still some states that are, that are, they're, kind of hammering it out here to the finish line. But as you yeah. look at the calendar, what, you know, working there, biologic gamekeeper, what starts creeping into your mind at this point in the year saying, okay, if I'm getting ready, like I'm focused, I'm switching gears. I'm back into deer mode now. So what are the, the key yep. things that we need to be focused in on and making sure that we're prepping and, and, and getting ready for right now? Yeah. So I'll just go over what, you know what I've done this week because, like you said, our, our turkey season just went out here in Alabama. I've got a lease in Tennessee. Same situation. Y'all are kind of in. Our our bird numbers are down. Uh, they took us down from uh, four birds uh, down to two birds this year in the county that my lease is in. Um, it, it also gives you that, like Tim was saying, just like man, even if I would have killed one up there, I kind of would have been happy. So I, I'm, I'm all for kind of letting this season go. Uh, it kind of got away from me anyway on time. So 
you know, with, with turkey season being gone, I really start looking at, you know, my perennial food plots, my clover fields. You know, what do I need to do to manage them going through the rest of the spring and into the summer to make sure they're in really good shape, uh, you know, come fall time. Not so much just from a hunting standpoint, but to make sure they're, you know, they're still super attractive and they're really pulling those deer in. Uh, I mean, Matt, you and your crew, y'all know all too well how successful early season hunts can be on that clover. And so making sure that it's right now and healthy going through the rest of the spring or summer could be a big determining factor on how, you know, lush and attractive that field is come fall time. So obviously weed control, you know, mowing and fertilization, all that is, is something you definitely want to be getting lined up right now before, you know, those weeds kind of get out of control and take over a field. Go ahead. Austin, can you talk about, I've always been fascinated by how clover responds to mowing. That, it it, it mm-hmm. kind of seems a little counterintuitive, but but maybe you could walk through why why mowing is important for clover. Yeah, you know, and there's a couple of different. Sorry about that. There's a couple of different schools of thought on that out there, and you know, some people are like just completely against mowing for for some reason. I'm a big fan of it. I mean, clover, like you said, it responds to it super super well. Um, now, obviously, this time of year, just like I did yesterday before I mowed about five acres of clover, the first thing I'm going to do is go out there and check the turkey nests mm. because we've obviously got a problem with it, you know, uh, nests being successful and poults being raised, uh, you know, up to adulthood. So anything we can do right now to, you know, help encourage turkey numbers going to do so, number one, you got to check the field first. And, and I walked five acres worth of clover. Uh, before I mowed it, just to make sure that there's no hens in there, I don't spot any nest. You get that out of the way. Um, you know, mowing. We're basically talk. You know, talk about knocking off the top two or three inches. You know, we're not trying to scalp it and, and mow it like a putting green. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just trying to knock the top off that clover as it flowers and any broadleaf or grass weeds that are in there with it. And typically, if let's say you planted, you know, non-typical this past fall. Um, it really starts to explode that second growing season, which is the spring. And um, it really just loves to be mowed because it, it encourages new growth as it sends those new runners and stolons out across the top of the ground into, you know, bare spots. And um, and so one, one thing you can do this time of year after you do that first initial mowing is if you come back and you start identifying that there's some grass problems or broadleaf weed problems, mm-hmm is going ahead and getting ready to spray right then when the weeds are young and they uptake herbicide very well. If you wait until your weeds are already, you know, three foot tall and in a seed produ- you know, production stage, they're not going to uptake the herbicide near as well and your field's going to still be pretty dirty with it. So um, mowing is a great way to control it. Some people can't get there with a mower, but maybe once a year. And so spraying may be a little bit more you know, what they need to do or a combination of the two. On that combination, would you spray, let it kill, get killed, you know, a few days and then mow or, or mow it, then spray it? You can kind of do either one. And I kind of look at it as, as a percentage as far as what, you know, what stage of growth is that clover in? If I've got like over 50% bloom on most of the field, I'm usually going to go ahead and go in there and clip it. Um, and try to try to knock the top, you know, the top two or three inches off that clover, and then wait about a week to ten days, and then come back and spray if if it's needed. It, it's weird because there's so many different, you know, thousands of varieties of grasses and broadleafs out there. So there's some broadleafs that just don't like to get mowed, and if they get clipped once, they're usually kind of done for the year. And then obviously you've got grasses that just love to be mowed, and it's like as soon as you cut them, they're already bouncing back, and that's when you really want to hit them you know, with a selective herbicide is, is right when they're trying to bounce back and they're in an aggressive stage of growth. Mm-hmm. Austin, what do you think about the palatability then of clover as it's growing? So you mow it, it's growing back. What does that do for the palatability of that plant? Yeah, I, I think that's another big, um, a big plus in my book on why to mow clover. If you'll notice this time of year, your clover is just like blowing, you know, blowing and going. I mean, it's got a ton of growth out of it for a couple of reasons. The conditions are great from a temperature and moisture standpoint. Uh, the deer are not browsing on it near as hard as they would, let's say in November, because there's so many other food choices out there available right now. With spring green up, uh, 
you know, there's some row crop fields starting to pop up the soybeans in some areas. So, you know, the, the resources available to them as, as far as food sources go are pretty high. Therefore, your clover gets a lot of growth on it this year and it's not really getting just really hammered like it would at other times of the year. So, you know, you see your clover really taking off and sometimes it can get a little bit stagnant. You know, let's say you're in the, you know, south or Midwest and you hadn't been to your clover field all spring and you show up in mid-June, it may look pretty good, but it can also kind of be stagnant. You can see it start to get some, uh, occasionally get a little bit of mildewy look on some of the leaves. Hmm. Um, and it just it just needs to be a refreshed, and that's where you know just a light mowing really seems to just kick it into high gear again and keep the new fresh growth that is so palatable to your deer uh, up and going. Okay, what's your herbicide preference for clover, the broadleaves and, and clover? What are you putting on as far as the spray goes? Yeah, you know, years ago I found a combination that that I've I have kept up with and it nothing that i found works as good and that's let's clethodim which is the active ingredient in a grass specific herbicide so there's you know a lot of brand names up there whether you go with dow agro or bayer there's all these different chemical companies but they've all got their own you know uh, brand name so clethodim is the grass specific herbicide uh, that you want to find and then imazamox uh, is the broadleaf uh, herbicide for clover. Now, I can't really recommend it all the time from a professional standpoint because it's not on the label. Um, it, it's on the label as grown for seed. Uh, so, you know, herbicides are one of those funny things that, you know, you can't publish a whole lot sometimes without being a chemical company about what works uh, because it's not on the label. But Imazimox um, is unbelievable. Um, it takes care of some grasses. It's really good with broadleaves when they're young and it provides some residual protection, um, which is there's still some activity in the soil, 30, 45, maybe even up to 60 days after you spray, of it not even allowing weed seeds to germinate. So you're kind of getting a little bit of a double-edged, you know, sword there against your, your weeds where you're killing active weeds with a contact herbicide, and then you're also getting a little bit of residual protection uh, with that amazomox. And so with those two herbicides, you can really keep a clover field clean and make sure it's, you know, really producing well and that weeds don't come in there and start competing and taking over um, and, and taking away from what that clover field could be producing. Because I'm sure y'all seen it. You can get three, four and five years out of these clover fields when they're really well taken care of and when the, when the weather participates with you. So we've talked a lot about maintenance with clover, but what if you're wanting to go in, you mentioned it earlier about a fall planting, but what if you're trying to do a spring planting? I know we're running up against like basically the end of that window, uh, probably depending yeah. on where you're at in the country, but what, you know, what steps do you need to take? I know personally on, on, on my piece of dirt, Scott and I are currently working on trying to get in uh, a couple clover plots and, you know, we talked to Terry and Forrest and, and they, like to use a host crop of oats uh, to try to shade out, shade out, you know, help the growth underneath there with the, the clover. So we're getting ready to do that this week. Uh, Scott has sprayed everything last week, um, and we kind of got everything prepped, and we're going to go in and, and get everything planted. What what steps would you take at this point in the season or this point in the year? Because because based on what when I first said this a couple of weeks ago, like we're kind of behind on everything, and the rain and kind of the weather has just really pushed. I think the majority of of farmers, whether you're novice like us are, whether you're a big time guy that's putting in a bunch of acres, you, you, you've been pushed back on your whole planting season so far because of the weather. So what, you know, what, what steps do you need to take right now to be able to get it in? How much more time do you think we have here before uh, clover planting is just not going to take because of, I guess, the, the heat of the summer coming? Yeah, it, it really is just uh, very dependent on what kind of colored Mother Nature deals through the month of June and July. So, you know, let's just take down here, for instance, we we usually have extremely hot and dry July in August, uh, as y'all do, because we're, we're not all that far away as the crow flies. But May and June, we usually have some pretty, you know, strong thunderstorms and, and fairly um, timely rainfalls. And so... It, as you go on into May, if you start getting into that latter half of May, you're really starting to gamble then, uh, just because 
right now there's a lot of moisture in the soil and if you can get that stuff worked up and get the clover planted and get it up and going it needs about 60 really good days of growing without being stressed out if that makes sense so not getting stressed out from too much heat not getting stressed out from lack of moisture and the biggest thing the combination of those two if they get stressed out from both of those you know you're really probably going to see a pretty um a struggling crop for the next few months if you you know if we get the rain and the temperatures don't get out of hand um you can expect that clover to to go on and it just like your fields when you let's say you plant you know some clover with your fall crops like you were talking you don't usually just see it you know explode out of the ground that first fall because the winter time creeps in just about the time the clover gets up and going and kind of mm -hmm. slows that growing process down but it spends the whole fall and the winter growing roots and so that's why you see this time of the year your clover's just exploding out of the ground because it's got this huge resource of roots that it's been building to to come off of so think about that for the spring if you put it in now that first 45 60 days can kind of be slow growing from our eyes and our standpoint there's a lot going on under the soil providing that you know the nutrients are there and that the moisture is there and it's not getting stressed out so yeah, the next couple of weeks, you probably still got some time to get it going. But as you start getting into late May or early June, you're really starting to gamble on whether or not it's going to have time to make it. So so I assume, you know, come June, July, you're not seeing much for, you know, we might see them pop out of the ground here, you know, in, in the end of May, depending on rain, end of May, early June. But July, August, when it's those hot, hot, you know, weeks, days, you probably don't see much of you know, growth popping out. Is it September then that you really start to see it coming on? I guess it's there too. It's dependent on rain or, or temperature, but when do you really see it then start to come up? Cause, cause I'm thinking about like mowing and, you know, weeds and all those same things that you, you're talking about for existing mm -hmm. plots when you really need to start, you know, taking care of that. Yeah. You know, July and August can kind of be, you, you never know it's Jekyll and Hyde depending on where you live at it might be thunderstorms every other day and you know the rain really takes a lot of the stress off the of clover even if it's getting 95 plus days of heat it it survives and goes through that pretty well as long as it's getting the rainfall but man you get two weeks without rain three weeks without rain plus 90 plus degree temperatures it starts to wilt and you can kind of see it go into preservation mode um, you know, it's kind of starting to go semi-dormant. Those leaves will kind of wilt up a little bit and it'll lay over. And it's, it's protecting itself uh, because it will come back from that root system. Um, years ago, I had some three and four-year-old clover fields up here. We've got very high, dry, rocky soil, so they dry out extremely quick during the summertime if we don't get time to rain. And I've seen some fields that were just as bare dirt as can be through the entire month of august and most of september but as soon as the weather cools off the soil temperatures drop a little bit and you start getting rainfall that clover comes right back out um, and it, which is pretty amazing that it can just basically go completely dormant and then jump back out so if it's a new field you know that you just planted this spring that might be difficult for it, if that makes sense it may not be able to jump out after a two or three months you know drought if it's a newly planted field it may be a little bit spotty and you may need to go in there and use an annual blend, you know, like uh, last bite or any of those type of annual blends to get you something going through the fall and go ahead and add in a little bit more non-typical, which, you know, last bite has got a little bit in there to begin with. And just to make sure you've got something for the fall if if we run into one of those scenarios. That, that's typically what we've done. I've never, this is the first time we've ever planted in the spring. Like we've always done last bite in the fall and then frost seed it, you know, come February, you know, put a little extra, you know, in there in, in the fall when we plant, but then frost seed it in February and then have a clover plot, you know, for, for three, five years, whatever the case may be. And that's really done, done really well for us. And it's kind of an easy, it's an easier way to do it. If there is such a thing, you plant yeah. once and frost seeding's an easy, you know, you just got to remember to do it. But sure. I mean, that that's really has succeeded for us over the years in, in trying that method. But I, you know, this is a brand new farm and with fertilizer costs and everything, you know, I'm, I wanted to try to get a couple spring plots in because frankly, we're just, our limitations are man hours and equipment. And so I thought, okay, if sure. we can get a couple spring 
plots done that might take a little bit of the load off come, you know, end of August when we're trying to get all these food yeah. plots in and two or three different farms. Hey, at least if we got this sure. one taken care of it, check it off the list. It's one less thing to do. So that was kind of my thought process with it. But I, I know I'm kind of running up yeah. against the end of the calendar of when you can do it too. Yeah. And it, it's just like everything else when it comes to farming, it's a little bit of a gamble. So, you know, if it, if it takes off great, if it doesn't, it's not like you missed a whole lot. You still got the fall in front of you, which is what we're preparing for. If it does take off and you end up with a, you know, 60, 70% stand that you can oversee a little bit into, like you said, that's just one more farm that maybe you don't have to spend a half a day spraying and, and tilling up and going through the whole process. Yeah. Austin, so my scenario is I've got a few kind of backwoods plots that are about a third of an acre big. I can't get any kind of equipment back in there. Like I can't take a side-by-side back and you just can't drive in there. Any tips on the guy that's got kind of these small hidey hole plots uh, with very little you know, access to equipment, what can they do to, to break up the ground if possible and uh, recommendations on what they ought to plant back in there, especially this time of year? Yeah. Um, you know, spring and summer plots in really shaded, hard to reach areas can can be really difficult and, and troublesome, you know, for lack of a better word. Now, when it comes to trying to get something in there for the fall, let's let's say it's a little bit even too shady for clover to grow, which not to it will grow in some pretty shady areas. You know, it'll it'll handle four or five hours worth of sunlight. Now it may not grow to its capability. Um, as it would in full sun, but it will still do a pretty good job. So let's just say you can't do that, uh, but you can go in there with hand tools in the late summer and and get it ready for something uh, for a fall planting. So we've got that hot spot blend that we've kind of designed just for that. More than anything, the things you got to have, you got to have seed to soil contact and you got to have a little bit of sunlight coming in there. So if that means trimming some branches back, Mm-hmm. which you would be amazed at how much ground you can get sun hitting, just trimming a few trees here and there. And so that's a scenario. But when it comes to actually planting that stuff, getting in there, you know, in August sometime for y'all's neck of the woods, even, even late July, getting the ground cleared, um, whether that means spraying it with a herbicide to kill any existing vegetation and then roughing it up with, you know, hand tools or rake, and I'm going to tell you something I've been using the last couple of years in this scenario is a big backpack blower. Yeah. I mean, you can yeah. really clear the ground of a lot of leaves and sticks and, and get some bare soil showing with one of these big, strong backpack blowers. And, and you've got half the battle won there because you've got exposed soil. So if you can get that soil roughed up just a little bit, it doesn't have to be tilled or plowed six inches deep to mm-hmm. have a successful field. But you do need to break it up just a little bit to create some texture in the soil okay. so that seed's got something to land on that's not hard packed dirt. Mm, uh, sure. That's going to increase your survival rate of, of the seedlings big time. So, you know, hopefully before that fact, you've already maybe done some soil sampling and found out, you know, hey, five or six bags of lime, uh, you know, a couple of bags of triple 13, and we could really make this plot take off. It's just all about making sure that we're getting good seed to soil contact. And with hand tools, you know, maybe it's just raking the whole thing up and busting it up with some rakes, you know, pulling a drag over a little bit, trying to cover the seed up, you know, a quarter of an inch or so, and then and then waiting for the rain. But the hot spot blend really works well. I actually have done last bite in some pretty shaded areas and come out some really, really pretty fields. Uh, timing is everything and, and making sure we're just getting good, you know, seed and soil contact. One thing that I did not think of last year, because I did put in a, um, a hot spot plot and uh, cut down a few trees and, and got quite a bit of sunlight to the ground. And that's where I killed my target buck last year. One thing I did not think of is how about November or so I realized, ah, these other trees around here are trying to kill my plot. Because I mean that's what they mm-hmm. do. Like that's the that's why they one of the reasons why they drop their leaves is to kind of cut out any type of competition, and, and it was just another piece of work that I realized I gotta go 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 in there with a leaf blower or a big rake and get all these leaves off my plot. Otherwise, you're just gonna it's like a tarp over my my new growth. That's right. Kill it all. Have you done that? Yeah, the, the leaves really smother it. Um, if there was two tips I could give people for growing better food plots in small 
tucked in areas in, in the woods, which like you said, where you kill that deer there, they can be extremely productive. Um, you make sure you come in there with a backpack blower after major leaf fall and get that stuff blown off because it will make a major difference in how much you're able to produce in there. Because then once those leaves do fall, a lot of times we've still got maybe two to three weeks of some pretty decent growing after that before the soil temperature really starts heading down. And if you get those leaves blown off there, the plot can really take off and get, you know, several more inches of growth on it. The number two thing would be uh, foliar fertilizing. And so let's just say a lot of times in these scenarios, you're dealing with an area where there's a lot of things going against you. Your pH might be low. It might be rocky ground. It might be in a spot that, you know, obviously it was pretty hard to work the soil up. So you may not have a lot of things going for you in the way of fertility. So if you can feed that plot foliarly by spraying it, instead of trying to come through the soil where there might be some deficiencies like a low pH, mm -hmm. you can feed those plants directly, you know, with a foliar spray and really make them take off very quickly without having to wait on uh, fertilizer to kick in and break down through the soil. And it's a great way to, like I said, bypass any issues you have in the soil by feeding those plants directly through the leaves. Kind of boost it, yeah. Uh, well, I was surprised with the hot spot, the, the ryegrass, because I know that, that's that's just that's something you have to kind of redo every year. But the ryegrass continues to grow in there, it, and it looks it actually looks pretty good right now. It kept growing throughout the entire winter. I didn't expect that. Yeah, so that's the only blend we use that we put any ryegrass in which you know there's a lot of stuff out there on the market that's like 90 percent ryegrass because it'll come up on wet concrete <laughs> it makes people feel good uh, so <laughs> hot spot is the only blend we put any in and it's at about a 15 percent range i think it's pretty low it, it does have some benefits in low light areas like that it holds the soil it keeps it from washing um you know deer will eat it and we really want them eating all this other stuff that we've got in the blend but the 15% or so we use of ryegrass and there it is productive it is useful uh, we just try to make sure it's not um, a major part of any blend that we use and um, but in those situations in low light like that it, it really shines and like you said it jumps back out I'm sure you know before this kind of green up happened it looked like a little green oasis in the middle yeah. of yeah it was like ooh, it opens up into a nice little meadow and yeah it's 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 neat looking <laughs> the other thing I, I i the turkeys liked it too they yeah. were in there quite a bit and i think it's because there was also mm. some insects and in not enough to kill one but no i didn't i didn't even hunt it this year <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> i'm really starting to feel like y'all might have had just a tough turkey season we're not listen, bitter listen it's mark dairy that like everybody else had in our kind of atmosphere had a great season <laughs> mm -hmm. so it may be the indian <laughs> not the arrow <laughs> yeah and, and, and one, one thing is very clear it's easier to be happier for people when they kill a turkey after you've killed a turkey mm -hmm. <laughs> happy <laughs> for no one scott didn't kill one i didn't kill one Ben did kill one. He's on our side over here. We don't we, like Ben. No, Ben can go to hell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he he got to hunt up a, with Terry though. That's Forrest and Terry and different he, world. He got to see what it's really like to be a hunter. <laughs> well, just a little tease. The real wild clip uh, this week is gonna be is gonna feature a turkey that we all wish that we could hunt. Mm. All right. So stay tuned for the real wild clip. It's really wild. So Austin, is there anything else you know that, that like as you? look out into the summer months coming ahead you know we've already talked about spraying and mowing and all that what's what's the next big thing that we need to be prepping for getting ready for or doing on our on our pieces of property i mean you know we talk about it a lot but if there is some fields that let's say you don't plant during the springtime and they're not currently in a perennial white clover and maybe it's just a field that you know you plant let's say with maximum or, or winter bulbs or final four or something like that every year as you're kind of mid and late season type food plots you know it, it never hurts to uh, let let's take for granted that we are already soil sampling those and, and taking care of them as far as uh, lime and fertilizer goes and, and we're taking care of our fertility issues but you know not letting those fields get so grown up that when it comes to you know mid-august you know early mid-august planting time that we spend you know, way more time than needed working those up and getting them prepped to plant. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, maybe that means going in there and spraying it just once with Roundup through the summer. You'd be amazed at what just one, you know, 20 minutes worth of spraying can do. And, and I don't just love thinking about going all around and spraying every field that I don't plant till fall with Roundup. But there's some that you know you're going to have some major weed issues with. Like, you know, we've got some fields where Johnson grass and shatter cane will be seven and eight feet tall by the time all this rolls around. And it's just so much to deal with. So, you know, we have over the years gotten to where sometime in June, you know, it's going to be about knee deep with just forage, just grasses and, and, and good weeds for the most part. But we're going to go ahead and go in there spray, even if I use a selective herbicide just for grasses to keep those that Johnson grass and shatter cane at base. So when we get ready to plant, we're not spending four days just trying to get down to the soil, um, you know, and, and having a little bit of a plan in place there so that we're not spinning our wheels. Because I know y'all are like us, when it comes planting time and the weather's right, you know, it's, it's, it's off to the races. You've got this small window to try to get these plots in and really make sure we get, you know, the right amount of, you know, days of growth on it before cold weather sets in. And, you know, some falls you get a lot of breaks where there's great rainfall all the time. And some falls like, man, this might be our only shot to get some stuff up and going before we get a two and three week, you know, dry spell. So getting some of that stuff already on your radar this time of year is, is, is a good idea. You know, depending on where you live at, mineral sites, obviously, I know some states are, you know, you can do it. Some states you can't. It's kind of ever-changing with CWD. But, you know, if you're in a spot where you can use minerals, it's as good a time as any to make sure those are freshened up. And it sure makes an easy place to get, you know, inventory count of who you got on your place come July and August with uh, with some serious minerals and not have to worry about buying 500 pounds of corn just to get an inventory. You know, I know y'all have had great results using, you know, minerals over the years to find out what kind of deer you're going to have to hunt. Yeah, Analogics has a mineral dirt 180 that's really, really good. It's Mm -hmm. super attractant and, you know, I I know we put it out, you know, Mark uses it where he can. Terry's, I think his county, he can't. One, he can, but I, I think his main farm, he doesn't. He's not able to put any of that stuff out mm-hmm. in Missouri. But on my piece, I can do that. So uh, we definitely mm-hmm. take advantage of it. Yeah. it. It helps, you know. Oh, not definitely. to mention the the overall herd health, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and it kind of habituates deer to come to a certain place because they expect it. Yeah, uh, Analogics came out with this new. It's like a liquid mineral. I forget the Oasis. No, yeah, Oasis, and uh, I just got some, so I'm looking forward to putting some of that. There's a couple different water holes, like small little water holes that we mm-hmm. have, and that's not really the intention of it, but I'm I'm gonna try it out in that kind of that way and see if it does anything. They, their their way of utilizing it is like having a little water tank like or yeah. 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 Watering hole. Exactly. And then, then you can kind of real, you know exactly how much water you have and how much of the, the oasis you need to put in it. But I'm looking forward to trying that and seeing what, what it does. Yeah. So. It'd be interesting to get a taste test, uh, back from you on. Yeah. You well, you just get like. down on all fours of there at the water hole yeah. and <laughs> it tastes like earth. <laughs> tastes like real dirty. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm in no way, uh, saying that there's going to be any shortage or not, but uh, this year would not be a bad year to go ahead and start looking about securing your seed for the fall, maybe a little earlier than you have in the past. Um, you know, everything's crazy now in the, in the transportation and trucking world. And so, you know, we, we fight something with it every day uh, when it comes to trying to get stuff from point A to point B. So uh, just from coming from somebody that deals with it every day, you get to two stores and, uh, getting it from our warehouse to other places, <clears throat> it might not be a bad idea this year to go ahead and at least start making arrangements and getting it secured somewhere uh, so that you know you got it because it's a it's a crazy it's a crazy time in the world of transportation right now. Boy, it just it, like it, that just seems like a rule for this time. Uh, the reason I'm wearing glasses today is because there is a. Uh, I, I ordered some contact lenses that were never in stock. <laughs> really? They're, they're just supply chain issues all over the place. So my kind of rule of thumb here the past few months has been if you can buy it now, Get it. buy it now, even if you don't necessarily need it. Because when you do need it, it just may not be there. It may take too long to get to you. That's very true. 
Mm-hmm. And then Matt was, you know, talking about fertilizer prices. I mean, it's, it, it'll hurt your feelings looking at them right now. Yeah. I was just um, talking to my farmer yesterday and he was taking me through all the prices and he's like, now this is going to be expensive. I'm like, Oh yeah, that is. And all that has a trickle down effect. Like food prices are just going to continue to go up because it's harder for, for farmers to do the, the production side of it. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't seen the worst of this. No. So, no. Well, one question for you, Austin, when we talk about like the big buck killers on our team are freaks about intrusion, specifically not intruding on their ground. But if someone's, if someone's got a hidey hole plot, how do you balance that maintenance versus intrusion levels there? Like, Mm -hmm. because I, I've got a really great deer that I saw end of last season, but he's near this hidey hole plot and I don't want him to to pattern me before season even begins. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get that. And, you know, Mark and, and a lot of guys in y'all's crew are, are masters of being careful about that and just being aware of it. And I think that's a, Hey, that's a step. First step is knowing that every time you make a trip to a certain spot on your farm, you're leaving a footprint, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one thing I try to think of is also kind of think of it logically because I have seen some places where it's like, man, that deer was, he had every reason to not be there as far as how much he was kind of intruded on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but think about it logically from a standpoint of what, what's the number one thing deer just don't put up with. And that's scent. You know, they just don't put up with scent from humans. You, you'll see them walk out there in a the field full of, you know, combines running, watching, you know, certain things they'll put up with visually. There's certain things they'll put up that they'll hear, mm-hmm. but they just do not put up with things that they smell. And so going in there with a tractor and spraying or going in there with your side to side and spraying or bush hogging, to me, although it is making a lot of racket and stuff like that, is a lot less intrusive than walking around for an hour and a half around the food plot, doing this and doing that, checking cameras and spending a lot of time and leaving a lot of scent behind. Mm-hmm. I think personally, uh, and I don't consider myself a big buck killer, but I have killed a few. I think that's, I think that's where we mess up is just thinking about it too much, but also just like what kind of intrusion are we leaving? Hmm. Th- these deer will put up with a lot when it comes to farm machinery and side by sides and stuff like that, but they do not want to put up with, you know, smelling somebody from 40 yards away that just left there when you've walked all over your food plot and been in the woods all around it. I don't know. You know, it's, it's tough to balance that sometimes because there are things that need to be done. Yeah. But I try to get as many of them done at the same time as possible. So if I'm going to be working that food plot or something towards the end of the summer, I'm also going to try to that day or the very next day, you know, be in there making sure my stands are where I need them and and Mm -hmm. set and all that, that way, maybe that's the last time I'm in that field until hunting time. Mm, Um, And I'm not having to go in there two weeks before bow season and be like, man, we still hadn't checked that stand yet. You know, you go in there and maybe you risk bumping him or something on a perfect afternoon that would have been, you know, two weeks from now you could have killed in that same type of situation. So, you know, it it is, it is tough to balance it because there are things that need to be done. And at the same time, you're like, you know, heck, we got four shooters that use that field and I don't want to booger any of them. So, um, I think just being smart about it and trying to get as many things done on the same day as possible, just to limit your exposure. Makes sense. Yeah. All right. Austin, you want to stick around for, uh, the real wild clip and a few other pieces or you got a jet? I left the whole day open for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, then, then we shall take the whole day. All right. Buckle in for a seven hour podcast. Everybody. Let the shenanigans begin. <laughs> Okay, so the real wild clip this week, this is like, this kind of hurts my feelings. This is an aggressive turkey. So this comes to us from Lane Umbarger from Kansas. And uh, Lane uh, did a little fanning towards a gobbler. So what we're watching now is a gobbler in full strut in an empty field up behind a guy's backyard. And the camera is poked through a tail fan. 
So this guy's just in his backyard. He hears a bird, starts gobbling at it, starts fanning it. He throws the fan. The bird is charging him in his backyard, his nicely manicured backyard. He's backing up, and the bird is advancing. Yeah, well, aggressively. That's what he gets for fanning. <laughs> right. And it's not over yet. So his kids are filming it from inside the house. It's a, it's a shot through the blinds. The turkey is charging him. It's probably gone about 80 yards. And now the guy is, is taking refuge in his truck bed as the gobbler is standing yeah. there in the yard. It's a Ducks Unlimited member. Yeah. <laughs> So th- this is pretty crazy. I mean, that, that goes to, I think, kind of the knock on fanning. And look, look, you know, plenty of our guys on the team fan and, and I guess it's called reaping or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know plenty of people use that tactic. But I think the knock against it is that it el- kind of, you know, elicits a, some Super sort of instinct that they can't help. And so it's, it, I guess that like here he, he was fanning it. It came in and he drops the fan and the turkey's still coming after him. <laughs> yeah. Right? No, we don't know. We don't know if that's like a local yard bird, you know, that's kind of halfway mm-hmm. tame and used to seeing Could people, be. or or what the case may be. But that turkey is not putting up with this guy's crap. It kind of reminds you of the videos you see of the the guys that get attacked by bucks in the fall because they've got like doe and estrus scent on them. Yeah. And the buck shows up, very disappointed that they see Elmer instead of uh, a doe there, but. Yeah, this this is. I bet his kids were laughing inside. <laughs> I bet the kids were just knowing how my kids would treat me, <laughs> laughing their heads off at this guy. Yeah, look at Daddy. He's the great white hunter here. Yeah, he's running from a bird. I love it there. He throws the fan and yeah, he starts running. <laughs> so. He's backing up. He's not going to turn his back to that bird. Nice. Another classic, real wild clip of the week. That's right. Okay. Well, how about we help our buddy Mike out with this? question of the day all right the question of the day is proudly brought to you by victory archery the carbon arrow experts mike from pennsylvania uh my family and i have a lease three farms that surround this lease okay one farm plants corn every year the uh, also with the second farm and the third farm does a two-year rotation, two years of corn and two years of soybean. We have eight acres of tillable land on this lease. I was wondering what your recommendation would be, what to plant, mainly for late season, hmm. with uh, the variety of food we already have around us. Thank we got, you. We got a great guest on for this one. I'm glad <laughs> that Austin stuck around. <laughs> Thank you, Austin. So. Austin, what do you think here? Yeah. I mean, it sounds like he's got he's got late season choices all around him. But if I know, you know, kind of how farmers go, none of that's going to still be in by the late season unless somebody's you know hunting and paying for them to keep you know an acre of of the corn or beans or whatever it may be. So, what would you do if you were this guy? Yeah, yeah, very common scenario, and like you said, very rarely everybody's always like, yeah, well, we got corn, soybeans on the farm. Well. Is any of that still there from November to January? Because that's that's the time of year we're we're looking at. So, taking for granted that it's not, taking for granted they're not buying any from the farmer. Um, let's just say your surrounding area is still comprised of soybeans and corn. Uh, I want to be different. You know, I want to have something different on my farm. And so, green is the way to go. I mean, grains are great. I love late season soybeans. I love corn on stalk. But if everybody's got that, then I want my place to be a little bit different, and I want, you know, the buffet. And so Final Forge is obviously a great choice where you're going to have some early season varieties, but you've also got some stuff in there for the late season. Um, I, I'd want to break it up a little bit, you know, depending on – I think he said he had several acres of tillable ground there. You know, I would want to go with three or four different blends, ideally just to have some diversity there that the deer can be picky about. Mm. You know, maybe have a cereal grain blend. You know, like last bite in a field or two, a couple of spots maximum and maybe a spot or two of, of final forage so that, you know, your deer have a have a chance to be picky um, and you're creating a lot of um, mid and late season food, you know, with those that may may end up not only making your buck stick around, but getting you that bonus buck from the neighbor because you've got food when nobody else does. Mm-hmm. I think you got to, the only thing you got to watch out is that you plant too much. Like he's got se- seven acres to, to plant. Doesn't mean he needs to plant all that. Like that yeah. you don't want too many options and them to spread, spread out. And then you not know where to go, mm-hmm. you know, for your sit that afternoon. That that's, that's one thing that 
Terry's kind of talked to me about Mark too over the years, you know, when we're hunting these, you know, these leases that I'm hunting smaller leases, it's like, all right, you want to get, yeah, I go, I want to put this here and that over there. It's like, all right, well, like with our new farm, I'm just saying, all right, we're trying to get them all into one area basically mm -hmm. and give them the varieties right there at the one area where we're going to for sure be hunting. It's not yeah. very sexy or exciting. You might get sick of hunting in those same spot over and over, but when you're on a smaller piece, the reality is you don't want to spread them out, mm -hmm. you, you know? Yeah. So I think, I think he's got to keep that in mind too, a little bit. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. You want to pick the, you want to pick the area where the winds and your entry and exit is going to be the most accessible and have the most advantages to it. And then, you know, focus in on that rather than planting, like you were talking five quarter acre food plots off in the woods, any of which your target bucks could show up on, and be a couple of hundred yards away from you and you not even know it. Mm -hmm. So it definitely can play a part into making your place more huntable and, and more forgiving to you uh, versus uh, putting in too many food plots that give you too many choices. And you're like, well, he could show up here or he could show up at any of these. Really. Right. Yep. Yep. So, Mike, thank you for the question of the day. If you want to get a hold of me via the Rack Pack on Facebook, we will send you a DeerCast hat. And if you'd like to have your question answered on the show, hear your voice on the podcast, uh, just click the link in the show notes, and that'll take you to the SpeakPipe uh, voice recording page. Leave us a quick uh, message with your name, location, and what you want answered, and we will do our best to get it on the air. And then send you a ball cap. All right. Yeah. Okay. The wildlife word. Austin, are you a bow fisherman? I have done enough in the past to be dangerous. Ah, I like it. Yes. Well, it's a bow fishing oriented wildlife word. And this week it's brought to you by HHA Sports, American made and backed by a 100% lifetime warranty. HHA is the leader in single pin sites. Actually, just uh, I've been talking to the guys over there. They got some cool new products that they're going to launch this, this summer Ooh. that... Uh, they sent me a sample of top so. secret. It huh? is. Yeah. I can't tell have to yet. wander back to the office and see what you got back <laughs> Stay there. Out. I got a knife <laughs> <laughs> and I can, I can wield it. <laughs> We're recording right now, right? <laughs> if I get cut later, this is why. So what are we, uh, Amber Heard, Johnny Depp court here? <laughs> <laughs> what a train wreck. <laughs> Our civilization is doomed. Well, yeah, we're going to hell. <laughs> uh, okay, so this favorite among bow fishermen has been called an aquatic lawnmower. It has large scales and oftentimes grows past the 50-pound mark. It's commonly referred to as A, a big head carp, B, a silver carp, C, the Great Lake Shungwele, or D, grass carp. What you got, Austin? I would have gone with grass carp before I heard all the choices, but now it seems like there's at least two other good ones. So, but I'm still gonna go with grass carp. Okay, as well, D. because the because of the description that you eloquently set set out for us, I'm gonna go with grass. Carp. Set the table, yeah. And the boys came to dinner. Mm. Mm -hmm. Nom nom nom. <laughs> it is indeed a grass carp. They are behemoths. A lot of times, so they were, they were originally brought to the U.S. for, um, uh, um, for aquaculture, it, it, essentially controlling vegetation in ponds, and they were triploided. So most of the ones that, that were stocked in ponds couldn't reproduce. Um, but they have escaped. I think somewhere down in Arkansas, someone was raising them, and a river flooded, overtook these ponds, and they flooded into the river system. And now they're all over the place yeah. and they can reproduce. And the crazy thing is when people buy them for their ponds to control, usually like Eurasian milfoil, they eat all the good and helpful ve vegetation first and they save the milfoil junk till the very end. Are you saying milfoil? Milfoil. <laughs> Grow up, Matt. That's what she said. <laughs> you just ruined a weed species. Nice job. It sounds like milfoil to me. I don't know. <laughs> You're the one saying it. What was that so, other phrase you so eloquently threw around? Coquettish? Back? No, it was uh, what t Scott. What was what was it? Pumpkin. Oh, pumpkin <laughs> syndrome. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, milfoil and pumpkins. <laughs> We're, we're repurposing words on this show. Okay. <laughs> we better move on. You ever shot a grass carp, Austin? Yeah, quite a few. We, uh, I spent about five, six years in, in Arkansas as a, as a kid. So, um, we, we did a lot of 
bow fishing from the bank there. Um, carp, uh, alligator gar, mm. bowfin. Yeah. Bowfin's a lot, of, lot of nice, nasty water in that part of the world. To shoot <laughs> fishing. It's, it's not a clean sport to be a part of. So it didn't surprise me that somebody there is the one that let all these go. <laughs> People from Arkansas. Okay. Well, how about our shout outs? How about it? All right. We got uh, our buddy Paul Anier. He's a DeerCast contributor. He uh, was talking about our uh, conversation that we had with Lindsey Thomas from uh, National Deer Association. Podcast number 263. Thank you. Uh, he said, Lindsey did a great job being upfront about what trail cams do and don't do for hunters. Good job, NDA, for taking a stance on this. All right. All right. So every week we got new Rack Pack members. Every week Tim puts them on a list. Every week I read them, mangle their names. Mm -hmm. Every week there's a fake name mm -hmm. somewhere in the midst. Always a good time. All right, if you want to know how to get in the Rack Pack, go over to Facebook, type in Drury Outdoors, 100% Wild Rack Pack. It'll come up. Answer the questions. We have a rash of people that have tried to get in without answering the questions. And some of them are from countries where I don't, like, I don't think they're even allowed to have a weapon. Mm. I think they're trying to scam us. I see. So answer the questions. All right. So we got Shooter McPlinkington, Bill Hooshin. Greg Frisk, David Baker, Matt Hirschberger. Yeah. I'm going with <laughs> David Baker. Yeah. Yeah. Shooter McPlinkington. <laughs> McPlinkington. I like that. McPlinkington. Did you say, was it uh, Jet, Jet I, I, Rogers? Yeah, I saw. <laughs> he, I, I must have said something about his name last week or the week before, and he got in there and commented in the rack pack. So. Yeah, we he, said that he, he should be a captain. Yeah. That's a name built for having a military and He says title. he's starting like Space Force, like. Mm -hmm. The rack pack force. <laughs> I forget what he said. You got to be in there. He said something. <laughs> Here's what's cool about the rack pack. People are starting to now like uh, through turkey season, we saw a bunch of harvest pictures, you know, guys with their kids and their first birds. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, everybody jumping in and congratulating them. Like that was really the purpose. I think when you came up with the idea and it was cool to see yes. that this spring, Yes, I, I, I really like it. So, so, so when you guys post in the rack pack, uh, also post that stuff over in DeerCast and let me know, because we can use some of that stuff for fan shares in DeerCast. That was another function of what DeerCast was built for, for you guys to be able to share your successes from the field. All right. Okay. Well, listen here. Oh. If you would like a new tracker unit, a new tracker oh, side by side, doing a giveaway. Listen. More I'm listening. There Jesus. are your odds are pretty good cuz not a whole lot of people have signed up. We it's kind of been a, a best kept secret so far this year. We haven't really promoted it much. Go to Deercast, click the giveaway tab and get signed up. You can only sign up once. Don't try signing up multiple times. We'll come to your house. We'll hurt you. With a cold steel knife because we're on brand <laughs> but do sign up uh your odds are pretty good at winning uh the odds are in your favor yeah we'll draw for that in december i think yeah yep all right well we've rambled on long enough we kept austin long enough yeah. i'm sure you, bobby's austin. got plenty of things for you to do there in biologics headquarters we got a lot going on <clears throat> hey if i could say one more thing uh that i was thinking about while we were talking about that people can be doing right now is something we get asked about a ton when it comes to the time of year when it's too late and that's planning screens going to and from your your stands oh, yeah. uh you know we always talk about entry and exit i know uh, y'all's crew is really big on that and i think it does make a big difference in in hunting uh, success is i mean how many times do you go and hunt a particular set for a deer and it's unsuccessful quite a few Most. times. Uh, it's just the way it is. So 95. going in and out of there and not being seen is a big part of that. And so if you want to plant some screens, whether it be something like our blind spot, you know, that grows up eight to 12 feet tall and creates a really great screen or <clears throat> use a whistle back uh, that's a little less tall, but still has, you know, a lot of height to it. <clears throat> this is the time of year to start thinking about getting those planted because they don't just shoot up 10 feet tall overnight. Mm. Um, you know, they need a full, they need a full summer's worth of growing. So if you're wanting to plant any screens for entry and exit to and from stands or to and from food plots, uh, now's the time of year to start thinking about those and getting them in because most of those are going to need about 90 days of growth, you know, to really get fully mature and, and grow to their capability. So just, just one more thing you can think about doing this time of year for some of your, uh, 
entry and exit points. I had actually just texted Bobby about that, and he recommended Blind Spot of the, of the two. And so uh, we're doing that very thing on because because I have you know the food plot kind of architecture of what we're designing on this new farm. I that entry is basically from my house walking straight down you know the house that's on the farm mm-hmm. straight down to the property and i i don't want them to be able to see what's happening up at the house sure. and so we're we're playing mm-hmm. a few little areas like that to try to shield you know basically our entry and exit and it's a quick you know quick fix you know would love to have some switchgrass and this and that and the other on the farm but this mm-hmm. is a quick fix that really gives you a lot of like you said a lot of height so yeah. uh, we're getting ready to do that very thing Awesome. Yeah, sweet. Well, tune in next week. If folks will find out if I survived my ultra marathon. Yeah, it may not. just be me on yep. the dais here. Yep. <laughs> Which, you know, maybe an improvement. <laughs> <People> want- <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We appreciate it. All right. Until next time, peace out. The results are in. DeerCast said great. It doesn't exist anywhere else but in DeerCast. Hunters love DeerCast's exclusive deer movement forecast. Get out of your game with DeerCast.